Okay. I want to share this morning on the subject of God's faithfulness. I was praying and asking the Lord, what can I share? Sometimes it's so easy, you're doing a series and you know this is like the next part of that series, but right now this is not one of those messages. It's something I just felt like I want to bring something to encourage us as a people to know God better, to trust Him more, and to live life from a place where you can handle life itself, its ups and downs, its, its curved balls. So I'm going to pray and then we'll look at the Word of God together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Word which is nourishing to us. You, you feed us, Lord, with your Word. You fill us and satisfy us with your Word. So Holy Spirit, won't you be present, illuminating and explaining the Word of God to our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's because of God's faithfulness that He is all we will ever need. It's because He is faithful that we can count on Him. See, if God were not faithful, if He were unstable or unpredictable in some way, He would be someone you can't count on. But actually He's all sufficient to us because what He offers, He delivers. It's something very rare in this life to ever have that thought that you could truly, truly count on someone or something. And I think the, the world is so broken by sin that when we have worked extremely hard to build structures around us that we're hoping to count on, God still even comes into that state of affairs and shakes things to to shake that which can be shaken, so that all that cannot be shaken will remain. And I think there's something profound about that, because God will always break up the false foundations. He will tear down the false building and construction of our lives. So very often we try to create the kind of life we want, and God realizes that we might be doing this without building it on Him. We actually build our lives on other things like good financial planning or good nutrition or good education or all kinds of things that are good. But without God, they're so transient and so fickle and so unable to truly stabilize our lives that God would even come to some of those things and shake and break until we find Him and stand upon Him. And so, because He is faithful, we can count on Him. And similarly, because of His faithfulness, God is the one being, the one thing that humanity should be most concerned about. And most people go about their lives, even you and I go about our lives often not giving enough heed to God. We don't pay enough attention to Him. We don't contemplate where He is and what He's up to, and we just try to live our lives in survival mode, and all the time God is right there, He's imminent, He's ready to intervene, to do something, but He's waiting for us to apply faith. He works in response to our believing, our faith. And so, the concept I'm speaking about is summed up in the following passage of Scripture. Two verses from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, 
Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 and Deuteronomy 7 verse 10. I'm going to read these to you. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate Him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates Him. He will repay him to his face. I was looking for that verse on God's faithfulness because it's in His very name that He's described as the faithful God. And then I got to that verse 10 and I was just stunned at how serious that verse is. He repays to their face those who hate Him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. It's incredibly strong, but that's also God's faithfulness. See, God is faithful to everything He does. If He makes a promise, He keeps that promise. If He says, you who oppose Him will suffer, then you will suffer. If He says, those who hate Him will be cast into darkness, they will be cast into darkness. God is absolutely dependable. He keeps His word. And the thing about God's faithfulness that perhaps is difficult for us is that it doesn't translate directly into us getting what we want. God's faithfulness sometimes translates into us getting what we need and it's not at all what we want. Because He is so faithful as a Father that He will do what's good for us despite how much we might want something else. So this is kind of know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's sovereign. He is God. He rules. He, you cannot bend His arm. You cannot manipulate Him. You cannot coerce Him. You cannot persuade Him. Even, even in some situations you could, you could think, well maybe if I pray a hundred hours, I can get this to work. But no. One prayer of faith, God will move if that's His intention, if He knows this is the right thing. A thousand hours of prayer and fasting won't change anything if what you're asking for is not what God has planned or has in mind. So this is the, one of those things where it takes me out of my subjective wrestle of like I have to be able to pray hard enough back to this thing of I can ask anything but God's only going to give me things that are good for me. It's wonderfully freeing when you get to that point. God is, in effect, the one person you can count on, completely. He cannot lie, He keeps His word, He is completely faithful. And so I want to look at six ways in which God is faithful, just to expand on this idea. He is faithful in His character, He is faithful in His covenant, He is faithful in His providence, He is faithful to forgive, He is faithful in His love, He is faithful to perfect us. Those are the six things I want to look at. So firstly, he is faithful in his character. Malachi 3 verse 6 and 7 say, For I the Lord do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That verse I love as well. It's just so, God is so honest. He's saying it's because of his faithfulness 
that he hasn't lost his temper with Israel and destroyed them. He's like, I don't change. In other words, I've made a commitment to you to show you mercy, to provide you a savior, to, to, to give you a way out of this rebellion and stubbornness. And so, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. See, if God were less than faithful to his word, he would have lost it with us long ago. But when God, who is absolutely unchanging, says, I will never leave you or forsake you, I will never pour my wrath out upon you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have escaped the wrath of God, it's been put on Jesus, then God will never lose his cool with you. He will never smite you in his anger. Though he may get angry with you, he will not destroy you. That's what we're reading there. And I, I, I need that. I need to know that because sometimes I'm going to mess up and sometimes I'm going to think now surely God is going to make my life miserable for what I've done. And God says, no, I'm going to be faithful. I won't destroy you. I will discipline you better than an earthly parent. So in love, he will discipline, but not destroy. And Right after that, Malachi 3 verse 6 verse 7 says, From the days of your fathers you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So that's his nature. He's, he's making a statement that if you come to him, he will come to you. Old Testament, New Testament, saved for 50 years or just saved. If you turn to God, He will turn to you. If you sinned this morning and you're feeling separated from God, turn to God, He will turn to you. He is faithful. Psalm 33 verse 4 and 5 says this, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. That's it. Another beautiful verse. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, I guess because in His love, He is withholding His judgment on sin and evil in this world, waiting for the full number of those who are predestined to be saved to come in. The ingathering of the harvest is something God is so committed to because of his love, he's not even bringing the final judgment, the justice that he's also committed to. So he's, he, he's 100%. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. That doesn't change. And Exodus 34 verse 6 and 7 says this, The Lord passed before him, this is where Moses is meeting with God on the mountain, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So there's God in his character. He is unchanging so his character is completely faithful and you can be sure that he's not going to wake up in a bad mood one day he's not going to get drunk and then become abusive 
is not going to get busy and become distracted. He's not going to be preoccupied with something else when you need him. His character is immutable. He's always dependable. He's always faithful. I like also how the Lord brings in in his word that the guilty will not go unpunished. And we would be, we are guilty of our sin. But we're actually the ones who go unpunished because our sin was put on Jesus. So the guilt still, the guilty still gets punished, but Jesus himself became the guilt offering for our sins. And so when we were freed of our sin, our sin was taken off of us and put onto Jesus. Jesus' righteousness was put upon us. We're no longer the guilty ones, but Jesus took the punishment. So God is still faithfully punishing sin. We just got to escape because of Jesus taking it upon himself. So God by no means will acquit the guilty. You either get delivered because of Jesus or you get punished because of your sin. And so that also is, is an important part of faithfulness because when you as a, as a person live in this world and you see things that you know are absolutely wrong, injustices abound, then part of our natural instinct is to cry out, Oh God, where is justice? Where is justice? Why did that person get away with it? Why does that person get to bribe me? Or why does that put I mean, like, demand a bribe, that's what I mean. Why does that person get to harass me? Why does that person get to stay in that position of power when they're exploiting it for their own gain? How come this corruption exists in this? And God, what are you doing about it? Even the martyrs under the throne in heaven are crying out, How long, O Lord, before you bring justice on the earth? So they also have that cry. They want to see justice. We want to see the, the wrongs being addressed. And this is necessary for us to remember how faithful God is that He will address every wrong. That means if you've been violated in this life by someone, you've been hurt, you've been abused in some way, you don't have to be the one who takes vengeance. You can absolutely entrust to God the bringing of justice in the end. But in His love, He's holding back on pouring out His final judgment on the world to give everyone a chance to turn to Him, to repent and to be saved. In His goodness, He's provided in Christ a sufficient atonement for the sins of the whole world. Not all of those sins will be atoned for, only those who come to Christ. Secondly, he's faithful to his covenant. 2 Timothy 2 verse 11 to 13 says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now that passage of scripture used to scare me a bit when I was more, um, you know, of the mind that you can lose your salvation or you could uh, come under some kind of a punishment for your sin. I mean, as a young Christian, you, you kind of just don't get how rich the gospel is. But actually, when I went back to this text and then searched to see other Bible writers and preachers, how you should really understand it. It's a, it's a symmetrical kind of um, bit of poetry in the Bible. And there's actually a nested pair of 
ideas inside another pair of ideas. And so the, the bigger idea is that at the end, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now that is where God says, I've given you an unconditional commitment that you will be mine and I will deal with the problem of sin in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, even if you don't do anything, you can't keep it, you can't uphold your side of the covenant, I provide Jesus as a man, so he will come as your representative and he will take your place and he will uphold all righteousness for you. So even if you're unfaithful, God won't cease to be faithful to his covenant. He's faithful because he's actually upholding both sides of the covenant with us. The side that, the side that we should uphold is held by Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary who took on flesh, who became a man so that he could represent man perfectly before God. So you come into that covenant and though you fail, still, just because of your sin nature that isn't dead until your body is dead, you will still mess up, but he will remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. He stands on both sides of this covenant. It's a magnificent thing, the incarnation, the fact that Jesus became a man. If you thought it wasn't significant, it is, it's the very hinge point of the success of the fact that we could ever get to heaven at all. It's because Jesus actually keeps the other side of the covenant for us. So if we endure, meaning as long as we enduring, we will reign with him, but if we deny him, he will also deny us. That's the, the, the smaller idea that's in, nested in the middle, and it suggests this, that when you do serve God diligently, there's a reward, you will reign. But if you deny Him, He will deny you, meaning the answer will be no, you get no reward. And so the commentators say that those are not heaven, hell, salvation, not salvation verses. They're verses that pertain to the reward you get for living a life devoted to God versus the denial you get of eternal reward when you deny Jesus in this world, when you live for yourself. Well, there is another scripture that confirms that this is true. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, Each man will be tested for his work. And if you're built with uh, gold, silver, and precious stones, you'll come into heaven with an inheritance to gain heavenly rewards, stored up treasure in heaven, like Jesus said. But if you build with wood, hay, and stubble, you'll also come into heaven, but you just smell like smoke. So just there, looking a bit raggedy, looking a bit sooty, looking a bit, you know, I just made it through the fire. Here I am, I have nothing to show, but I'm still in heaven. That's really the picture. And so while there's a judgment seat for those who are outside of Christ, the, the judgment, the, that throne of judgment that determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, we don't even face that judgment if we are in Christ. We already guaranteed to be in heaven. We have eternal life. But there is another judgment for those who believe, and that is like a baptism of fire. Michael Eaton said, it must be kind of an anguish moment for each of us, because we will pass through that judgment, and you'll come out the other side, either with 
something to be commended for or else you'll come through smelling of smoke because you built with wood, hay and stubble, because you lived your life as a selfish Christian only concerned about your own comfort or you lived your life as someone dedicated to God willing to pay any price for Him and He will let, give you a reward. You will reign or you will be denied something. Now you might be wondering how can that possibly be heaven? I can't explain it to you very well, but I can tell you if for sure the Bible speaks about some receiving a greater reward than others. And you can talk to me offline about that if you want more rambling speculative philosophy. But the Bible doesn't actually explain exactly how it works. It just says it is like that. So that's good because God's saying I'm going to faithfully reward or deny based on how you live, which gives your life meaning. Otherwise nothing matters. How we live doesn't count. There's no point in being a Christian if there's nothing to gain from actually pursuing God. But God's saying, pursue me, devote your life to me, and you have everything to gain. A better eternity. And He's faithful. But He's faithful to His covenant. Full stop. He's faithful to His covenant completely. So once you've entered into that covenant, you're, you're going to be with Him in heaven. Thirdly, he's faithful in his providence. Psalm 37 verse 25, well-known verse, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. This is because God, the psalmist is effectively saying, God takes care of us. That's the point. And Jesus echoes it in Matthew chapter 6. I'll read from Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. In other words, they're very bad at planning. They're very careless with how they live. They don't take, make proper provision for their retirement. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Um, for some of us, that's just like decisions, like I've got three things to choose between, but this scripture is not written like that. It's saying like you're afraid of being, going hungry, or you're afraid of not having clothes. The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When I think about God's faithfulness to, in His, in His providence, I've been amazed at how tough a dad He is. I mean, I was once kind of feeling like I really need to be better off financially. I was feeling huge financial pressure and I was asking God, why Am I under all this financial pressure? Why can't you just bless me with more contracts at work? I was in IT. I was basically being paid like a contractor. So the more work, the more pay. And 
it's just like, God, you could send more work, we could be doing much better, and God kind of answered me, as I've said before here, yes, I could. And then he didn't. You could deliver me from debt, and he said, yes, I could deliver you from debt in a day, and then he left me in debt for another four years or five years. It was just hard for so long. But then I came to understand something about God as a father. He will give you enough. He will give you what you need. And for sure, I'm convinced now that if he had given me a million dollars, it might have destroyed my life. See, I could have had all of that and it could have wrecked me and he knew it. So there are greater men than me that God can entrust business success to. I've met guys who have tens of or hundreds of millions of dollars. They're wealthy. And I look at them and I think that must be a peculiar gift he has to be able to carry that responsibility. I'm so glad it's not me. It would kill me. And so God knows, and that's why elsewhere in Scripture it says, Give me enough that I would be content, but not so much that it would do me in, I'm paraphrasing very loosely, not so much that I might become proud, or I might become self-sufficient, or I might become independent of God. And so in many cases, when you look at your life and you think about God's blessing, we oversimplify it to this, okay, it would be better to be richer. That's not necessarily the case. Maybe it would be better to be exactly where you are, and God knows that. And so when I say God is faithful in His providence, what I mean He is faithful not to give us as much as we want. He is faithful sometimes to give us more than we asked for. Sometimes He actually goes and gives you even more than what you requested, but He knows what you need, and He is faithful in His providence. So take that to God when you pray and say, God bless me, but bless me exactly how you deem right that will be the best for you don't bless me with everything that i want you can ask for the things you want you may want a you know a godly husband then pray and ask for a godly husband it's a good prayer but know the timing is in god's hands know the the, the circumstances of our lives are not really just supposed to be god makes our lives better everything becomes more comfortable that's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. God is working out greater things in us. Fourthly, He is faithful to forgive. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John, when he wrote that, he was dealing with the question of sin in a believer's life, if someone claims to have no sin, they're lying. He also says things like, if you keep on sinning, the, the truth isn't in you. And it's a, it's a kind of few verses that should be taken together, but he's trying to put some distinct concepts down. And he, he gets to the verse of forgiveness and he says, so we have sin. What are you supposed to do with sin in your life? Are you supposed to vow never to do it again? Well, that can be helpful if you really say to God, I don't ever want to do that again. But it can also be a big hindrance if you are hoping in your own strength. 
And so you sin again and you feel guilty again and you feel like overwhelmed by your sins again and you feel like you're never going to be good enough. And then guess what happens? The devil comes and says, yes, that's true. That's you. You're the loser who God will never really love because you never really get over this. And that's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus died for. Not for us to stay in perpetual guilt for our sins. He died to take on himself the penalty of our sins. So the punishment is taken at the cross. Then he died to break off of us the power of sin. So that we are no longer enslaved to sin. So we're not slaves to sin, but we become slaves to righteousness. And we begin to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as it is. For it is Him who works in us to do according to His will. So we come to that point now of, yes, we still sin, but no, we never live comfortably in sin. So that's where John said, if you continue to sin, then the truth isn't in you. What he means is if you're in a callous cold-hearted, don't-care kind of way, just carry on living in sin, then you're probably not a Christian. So you'll never sin easily as a Christian, but you will sin. That was John's point. And now what do you do? You go to this verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How is it just that He forgives me when I've done this again? It seems so wrong that you would forgive me a 40th or a 50th time. It's just because my sins were punished in Jesus. They were put upon Him and He was punished. So if I turn to God and I say, I've sinned again, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That sounds like a problem solved kind of verse, and it is. It really is that good. So I want to suggest to you today, remember, God is faithful to forgive us. Every time. How many times must we forgive, Lord? Said the disciples. Jesus said, 70 times 7. He didn't mean 490. He meant the perfect, complete total. The shalom amount, if you want to be like, ooh, special words. The amount that is perfect and complete. So if, it, if forgiveness is needed, forgive. And God practices that with us. He, will faith, he is faithful to forgive us our sins if we come to Him and say, I blew it again. Fifthly, He is faithful in His love. He is faithful in His love. Lamentations 3 verse 21 to 25. But this I call to mind... And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. When Jeremiah wrote this in Lamentations, he was writing about Judah's sin, and the verses preceding this are once again verses of terrible affliction. Judah has suffered. King uh, Josiah has died. Josiah was a, not, not a, a bad king, but Judah is a rebellious, southern, breakaway state of the nation of Israel at this time in history. And they have been 
going through a series of bad kings and rejections of God, and God has been very heavy-handedly afflicting them to bring them back to Him, to, to break them, to, to, to chastise them. And in this chastisement, which feels almost unbearably hard, in other words, to the prophet Jeremiah, he's, he's identifying with Judah and thinking like, God is utterly destroying us. And then he says this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That statement is being made in the midst of some worst situation where everything is hurting and everything is broken and everything seems wrong. And God is clearly not impressed with Judah and he's, 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 he's got this anger, this attrition, this affliction coming upon the people. So when you get to that place where you think even God's discipline or even the way God has led your life into the state that you're in now, which feels so terrible, you might have been going before God and saying, what can I do? What can I do? I've blown it. I've lost the plot. I've wandered from you. I've got myself into trouble. There are people in our church community who end up in that place sometimes. Don't think it doesn't happen to a person. Could end up in prison. You could end up in all kinds of turmoil. And there, right at that place, this is what Jeremiah says, I will remember and I will have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. In other words, there is always a way back to God. There is always a desire in God's heart that you would come to Him and have His mercy, have His love. Every day, every morning, He's putting it out there. Every morning He's saying, come, the doors open. And so the prophet can say, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. Now think of the kind of love that God has demonstrated to us. And this is kind of maybe the more personal place of God's faithfulness that I would like for you to, to embrace. And that is this idea that His love is passionate. That His love is like the love of a husband or a father. It's not love as a technical term. Right. It's not love as a legal transaction. It's love as a raging fire. And I was meditating on this and saying, God, when you say your love endures forever, what does that mean? And I, I started to feel like the Holy Spirit was saying, you know what, you know how when you, when you love someone, like your, 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 your girlfriend or your wife, I mean, that's the same person at different times, not you have a wife and a girlfriend. <laughs> you, he says, you know how you, how you feel like you, you, you're invested in that relationship, you're focused on that person. He says, you're the apple of my eye, you're at the center of my gaze, 
That's what that phrase meant. It's not an apple and an eye. It's, it's the pupil. It's the pupil. You're the apple of my eye, says the Lord, meaning you have my attention. You have my love. You have my desire. I desire you. I want you. He says that's how it is and that's how it always will be between us. He will never get bored with you. He will never lose interest in you and go and look for another. And most of us, we've experienced someone losing interest in us and going and looking for another. Or maybe you're married and you're worried. My spouse may one day, you know, the romance may die. My spouse may, you know, God says never. Never will I leave you or forsake you. You will always be my one true love. You will always be his one true love. He's not... He's not going to go looking for another. He's not going to go say, Ah, oh, you know, I tried with you for 40 years and now I'm leaving you. They, what do they call it? Um, anyway, silver splitters. The people that get old and divorce after the kids left home because the, everything's changed now. So they've got the gray hair, so they're silver splitters. It's a terrible term. But obviously I'm contemplating those things because I'm getting older and the gray hairs are starting to come. God says, never. Doesn't matter how old we get together, I'm never going to be bored with you. Doesn't matter how many times you mess up, I'm never going to give up out of frustration. My love endures forever. His love endures forever. So when God put His love on us, when He decided to set His affection upon you, when He called you to be His child to come and become his bride it's forever it's never going to change he, he is faithful he's not unfaithful like people you've met he's not unfaithful like the husband who left you he's not unfaithful like the person who let you down and didn't keep their commitment he will never ever stop loving you you will be his beloved forever and God is faithful to his beloved. And lastly, he is faithful to perfect us. What I mean by this is we're in the middle of the story, but he has written the story to the end and it's a good ending. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, and I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of this. There's no debating. There's no discussing. There's no possibility of things not turning out this way. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, the day of Jesus Christ there is like the resurrection. It's the, the end of time. So in this life... You're not going to reach nirvana or some perfect Zen state of being. It's not, it's not possible. But when the story is over, the good work will be brought to completion, meaning it will be perfect. Absolutely perfect in every way. And this is what God is doing in His faithfulness. He is faithful to His plan of perfecting everything that He has got working, that He's busy working on. 
as he builds the church, as he fashions her into this bride without spot or wrinkle, you are in there as a living stone being built into this holy temple. And when all is done, we will all, each and every one of us individually and corporately, collectively together, we will be perfect. And every little spot, every little disappointment you have with yourself will be removed. And there will only be what's good and what's right and what's perfect that remains. And I, I hold on to that hope that God will perfect me because I'm part of me is a perfectionist personality and that's a very unhelpful streak because you can end up very much condemning yourself or even being hard on other people around you. But the, the part that I love is that even though I can't make myself as good as I'd like to be, Jesus is going to finish the work He's begun in me. And so, whatever you don't like now about the world, is not going to be like that when Jesus is finished with this world. Even all of creation, nothing will be disposed of, nothing will be thrown away and discarded. Everything that God redeems will be redeemed fully. So this, the new heavens and the new earth is born out of what, what, what is purged through the fiery judgment. The fiery judgment comes at the end of time. And this world is baptized in fire, not like Noah, which was water, but fire. And something passes through the fire, and out of that you get the new heavens and the new earth. God does not discard this world, He renews it. That's why Jesus said, Behold, I'm making everything new. I'm re renewing it and redeeming it. So He paid for it, it belongs to Him, and now He is perfecting it. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the, the initiator, the author, the one who began faith in you as a gift. He gave you faith. You were born again because of the gift of God and now Jesus the founder is also the perfecter of our faith and so he will bring it to completion who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God or as Jude 1 verse 24 and 25 says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy that scene in Jude 1 verse 24 is a, a glorious moment where we finally stand in heaven and we get presented to the Father as the finished work of Christ has been brought to bear on our lives and we are now made perfect. There's great joy. Do you know that the prize giving at school was always this awkward moment because someone else was always going to get more prizes than you and you were going to feel like you weren't actually particularly celebrated or maybe only a little bit for a few things. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. That's the 100% score that no one can beat before the presence of his glory with great joy. So that's where we're destined. When you're over with this life, when I die, when, when Jesus comes back and I'm presented in heaven one day, it's going to be blameless. 
here comes a success story because of Jesus. And so that's what God is faithful to. He's faithful to complete the work that He's begun in us. He is faithful to perfect us. And so even now, while you wrestle in this life, just remember, Jesus has got it covered. Even though you don't get complete victory in this life, Jesus will give you the crown, the victor's crown. And then you'll say, what this? This is for you, Jesus. And He will get the glory. He will get the praise. He will get the adoration. But you will be perfect. You will be blameless. And there will be exceeding joy in heaven. And the same is true of every hole or gap that's missing in our lives or broken in our lives. There are people who died too soon. There are people who fight against cancer and then they die and they're not even that old. And you think, I missed them, I missed them, I missed them. You know what? If they're supposed to be in heaven, they'll be in heaven and heaven will be perfect. And it will be like you woke up from a bad dream that had this tragedy in it and that tragedy is now gone but the person is there. Every single person who is supposed to be in heaven is going to be in heaven. Now while I'm on this side, I can't see how that works out as a perfect situation. I mean, I know my stepdad was a, a Hungarian atheist and he, I don't believe he's going to be in heaven. And I'm sad because of the loss of his life. He died not knowing God, not receiving Jesus. To me that's a tragedy, but even that tragedy is not going to remain tragedy in heaven. It's going to be pure and perfect righteousness, justice, exactly what is supposed to be. He made choices, he was given opportunities, and by his, by his own account, he didn't want in there. So maybe as hard as it is, I, I don't know, but in heaven, it's not going to be like there's a void or there's an incongruity or there's a, how do I make these ideas reconcile with each other? Heaven will be completely correct exactly as things are meant to be. And so in all of redemption, we have to trust God. We have to trust God with the, the, the final product. But He has said to us, it's, it's going to happen. All things will be made perfect. So just think about that as you think about your life, think about God, and think about His faithfulness. Faithful in His character, never changes, never lies, never breaks a promise. He's faithful to His covenant. He keeps it in Christ Jesus. We can't even break it. Jesus upheld it on our behalf. He's faithful in His providence. He's caring for you the right way. He's faithful to forgive. He will forgive you every time. He's faithful in His love. He will never leave you or forsake you. And He is faithful to perfect us. He will bring us to glory. Won't you stand and the band can come up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that you are a faithful God. You're a perfect father. You're a husband. You would never leave. You would never be unfaithful. I thank you, God, that your commitment to us is true and utterly dependable. I thank you, God, that we can count on you. We can count on your love. In Jesus' name.